Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Pat Burton. Pat has been involved with guiding as an adult for 37 years and is currently the Trefoil President for Newfoundland and Labrador. She's a member of the Killick Trefoil Guild. She was president of the Killick Trefoil Guild for seven years and is part of the organizing committee for the National Trefoil Gathering for 350 guild members from across the country, which will be held in St. John's in June of this year. In addition to guiding, she volunteers, she sits on the Provincial Advisory Board for Seniors and Aging, and is a member of the Collective Memories Committee. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm delighted you're here. And it's all, the Collective Memories Committee is kind of how we met. Um, And uh, you had said you're doing this uh, program where you're bringing in all these uh, Trefoil Guild members from across the country. That's That's how we got started. And it was my lucky day (laughs) because one of our sessions that has sparked a tremendous amount of interest is uh, Newfoundland culture and history. And when you walked into the room at the meeting that morning, I thought, oh, hooray, hooray, my prayers are answered. You found someone you could press into service, I think. I certainly did. (laughs) So now for for people who might not know what the Trefoil Guild is, what, what is it? Trefoil Gill is what I call the senior women of Girl Guides. Right. You only have to be the minimum age to join Trefoil is 30, but in actual fact, the average age of women is about 62. But we go anywhere from 30. We have a lady in Gander who will celebrate her 101st birthday. Uh, in May, and she's still a Trefoil member. So we cover a very wide range of ages. You were saying that there was a woman from Stephenville who's still very active, and she's well into her 90s. Uh, May Lohman, who was one of the founding members of the Guild in Stephenville back in 1982. She was the president at that time. And now, every year, May gets on the CN bus and comes into Line Maxim's camp for our provincial um, gathering. And she is very, very late 80s or very early 90s, but that is the highlight of her spring to come to our gathering. (laughs) And you know, every time May comes, she adds something to the gathering, truly. Well, she brings that kind of depth of experience, I would Absolutely. imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. And last year, we did a Killick, my my guild, uh, hosted the Trefoil Gathering last year, the provincial one, and we had as, as our service project that you bring squares that we gave to the Cancer Society to make quilts. Mm-hmm. Well, May came, my dear, with this big bag of squares that she knit the winter. So, you know, it's not only about the fellowship, it's about giving service right. as well. Right, So now, I, I asked you if you had been a, a guide as a girl, and you said you hadn't been, that that wasn't part of your, your girlhood. It wasn't a part of my childhood for the reason that I lived in Paradise, which is where I grew up, but I went to school in St. John's, and therefore I was a bus student. And uh, for me to go to brownies or guides after school, it meant getting a very late bus, and it would be dark when I was getting on the bus, because those... Back in that time, most times guides or brownies was held right after school because moms weren't so much working moms then. And my parents didn't want me to be traveling on the bus at that late. Right, yeah, yeah. 
So what was your introduction then? <laughs> My introduction guiding? is I have a daughter, and it was time she was old enough to go to Brownies, and I was so excited, as was she. We're going to go to Brownies. So I went to the meeting, the adult meeting for registration, and it was, if you want your daughter to go to Brownies, you have to come too. So from that night on, I was Tony Owl. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And this is what happened with, with my family as well. My my parents enrolled me in Beavers when I was very young, and my dad, you know, took me off and th- then I think found out that he had to be in the in the wolf pack. You know, I think he yeah. was a K-lover for a while, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's nice to see families that are engaged in these things. And these things do carry on kind of from generation to generation in a, in a way. It's funny you should say that because uh, both my husband and I were involved in scouting as well. Same thing when my son wanted to... Um, go to beavers there was no beaver group so mommy started up the beaver group and then when he went to cubs my husband got involved with he was in the a cub leader and scout leader so you know it is is very much becomes a family thing which is a good thing because four of us if we were getting ready to go to meetings well dad and our son were going to the scouts and mom and daughter were going to to guiding but you know we all learned so much from it and it it was something too when we went camping we all had learned skills Mm -hmm. now my husband probably had the skills all along but I certainly didn't yeah you know so. so what do you think guiding and scouting um gives to the the kids that are in it to me guiding and scouting instill life skills Um, that's probably I think one of the 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 biggest assets of of both movements and by life skills is not only to learn how to be self-reliant if you're in the woods and you get lost but it also gives you the confidence that you need when you go to as an adult you're going to a meeting and you're going to have to stand up and speak in front of all these people I found for me personally that my guiding experiences were able to come into play and help me when I had to stand up and the first time I stood up in front of a crowd of people I thought okay yeah you know you can do it and and I found that with both of my children that their guiding and scouting background has enabled them to become the adults that they are today, mm-hmm. you know, with confidence in themselves. And you learn about all different sorts of people and how to to get along because everybody, as you know, operates at a different level. Yeah. And we have children who come to Brownies and who absolutely love it, and there are other kids, it's just not for them. But for that year, we all get along and we all make it work so that everybody goes home with a little bit of satisfaction. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that I think that self confidence is really really important. You know, it is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so you were involved with you've been involved with guiding for thirty seven years. Thirty seven yeah. years. And you were involved for a while before you got involved with the Trefoil Guild. Well, before I got involved with Trefoil, I started as a brownie leader. I was I did that for many years, and well, not many, but seven years. Then I went as a pathfinder, mm-hmm. and pathfinders are the um, say 12 to 14 and then I was a ranger guider as well and once I did 
did both of those roles for maybe six, seven years. And then I kind of steered from directly working with the children to more being on the committee and I was on our, what we call our area councils, which looks after, say, that's kind of your management board for your particular area. And I also have sat on provincial council. In fact, just last year, I just finished a term as a member at large on provincial council. And that's the body that looks after the guiding for our whole Newfoundland and Labrador. And we ensure that the the rules that come down from national, and mm-hmm. there are plenty, I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> are enforced to the best of our ability. And that uh, you know that the units that are operating in our province are operating the way they should, and that the children who are involved in guiding are having the opportunities as much as possible that they can have, sure, yeah. because sometimes today with people being so busy and having so many shift workers as leaders, guiding has changed somewhat because um, now if, if we have a training now for guiders and you've got four people in your group who are leaders, three of them work shift work, well then you can't expect somebody to take a 12 hour shift off to go to training. So we make it work whatever can work best for the group because ultimately the children are what count and we need to be able to accommodate the leaders who are now giving up their time to work with all these children. Mm-hmm. So we try to make it work as best as we can. So that's kind of where the administrative part comes in. And right now my true love is, of course, the trefoil. And while it's uh, a lot of the women who are in the group I'm in, we have known each other as long as I've been guiding because we started out as leaders together and we just don't know when to quit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's uh, like a lot of times it is social, but we also every year and our guide, our guiding year generally goes from September to June, we find ways to do service projects, to give back and now, we're only going to do stuff that we're going to have fun at. But, you know, you can have fun at a lot of things. So can you, can you give me an example, then, of a, of a successful service project or one you've enjoyed? Oh, uh, well, the reason I joined this killer, because I swore I was never going to be old enough to join a right. trefoil yeah, we guild. All that, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> and I heard that the ladies were doing a quilt. They were going to make a um, hand sew a quilt. And I said, okay, because quilting is one of my my passions. So I joined, and we did a a queen-size quilt. Now, you can imagine 13 or 14 women working on a quilt down on the floor. There was a little bit of nattering, and carrying on went on. Mm -hmm. But we donated that quilt to um, one of the women's shelters, and they were able to sell tickets on it. That was an awesome feeling. But we've done um, another very gratifying service project we did was to um, cook, donate and cook lunch at the Gower Street United Church. And that's actually is funny because I'm a person that loves to chat and I hate to do dishes. But I found that so moving to go out and look at these 
young people that you could tell from talking to them they were from, you know, good homes, but life has just dealt them a bad hand right now. I had to go in and wash the dishes, and that became, I just found it too emotional. Mo- these these kids were happy, but all I could think about was, you know, their moms and dads sure, at home yeah. and yeah. wondering, probably blaming themselves for where their children have ended up today. Now, I say children, but these were men and women in their 20s and, you know. Somebody's and, children, yeah. But they're all somebody's children, yeah. you know, and, and uh, to hear their stories, that was, we've done that three or four times, and it it is now become one of the things our group likes to do in the fall, and most especially in the fall, because you can do, like, uh, all fresh vegetables and puddings and you know you have somebody come up to you because there are older a lot of older people who come in for lunch as well and say oh my god I haven't had a blueberry pudding since Mm -hmm. I left home and the first time we did it we did it in February and um, one of the ladies with us is a real comedian and we had um, partridge berry pudding and the guy could smell it and he said so so where'd you get the berries? And and Charmaine, being the silly thing she is, she said, oh, we picked them up on uh, Shea Heights this morning. <laughs> and so here's the big buzz out with all the people. They just picked them berries this morning, and it was a day like today, cold enough to freeze you. But, you know, we, we also, we've uh, made dresses that we out of pillowcases that we sent to Africa. Oh, yes, I've seen that we, project, yeah. Yes, and we just did, um, we've done that several times, but our most recent one was last spring. We did 150 and sent them off with a friend of ours who was going. And we do the knitted squares for the cancer clinic. Uh, right now, the ladies in the group who can knit are doing the pre. I'm moving my hands, but you can't see me. <laughs> the preemie hats for okay. babies at the, the Janeway. Hats, yeah. We've done puppet dolls uh, that are used at the Janeway for children who have been subject to abuse so that they can point out to the doctors what parts of their body have been abused. Mm-hmm. And um, we're always finding something. We, we, did, uh, we do pillows as well that we donate to the hospitals and they're used for people who have had surgery and you know for when they're coughing and that right. so they and of course all of that stuff is donated by people in the group but we'll get together and sew them and mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a great meeting we were invited by the girl guides there was 18 of them they were making pillowcases so we were invited to come and bring our sewing machines and ourselves and help the girls well what fun we had making pillowcases it was so much fun and for us who had every one of us there had been a guider with the children at one time so it brought back a lot of memories and it was so nice to see to know that even though so much has changed in 37 Seven years, a lot remains the same because the enthusiasm of these girls just made it a fabulous night. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm interested in in this idea of you know teaching girls uh, the, the sewing skills because I, I think there was probably a point where um, 
young women would have learned these skills in the home. But today, I think a lot of mothers probably don't have much in the way of sewing skills. It's interesting that you should say that because there were three of the guiders who were there that night, and they're young women who are <clears throat> lead very busy lives. But they were just as keen to make pillowcases yeah. as the girls were. Yeah. But I do find... It seems like in this last couple of years that a lot of young women now are becoming once more really interested mm-hmm. in learning those types <coughs> of skills. And um, it's almost like everything goes in cycles, yeah. you know? We've been involved with a couple projects around knitting. And we are seeing, we, we organized some events. Stephanie Machikin in our office had, had organized, you know, some knit-alongs for sock knitting. And it wasn't all old ladies. You know, there no. were some young, not, there weren't any men, but there were definitely young ladies there yeah. who, were, who were interested. In, and some of them were quite good knitters. You know, they, Absolutely. They, were coming with their, they already had the skills. They knew, yeah, how, they knew yeah. how to knit as young women. I, I think, um, like, I don't knit. I don't, I can knit a scarf or a square. But my mother-in-law was an awesome lady to knit so she taught my daughter how to knit and she knit everything we needed knitted so I figured well I don't need to know how to do that and that's something I'm sorry for now but I do like I do some hand quilting and I remember being at the hospital uh, waiting for an appointment and I was doing my hand sewing and the young lady next to me who was half my age had her knitting out and I was so impressed because like good on Stephanie is wonderful to see these skills being revived. Yeah. You know, and and that's why I think it's really good that you have guiding groups now who are encouraging girls to to do these skills. Now, I'm not being sexist. It's just I don't know if the scouts do knitting or sewing. Right. They should. <laughs> I, I think there's probably I think there's an opportunity for for some young men to learn to learn knitting because there there was a time when men knew how to knit, sailors knew how to knit their own socks and things like that. Well, actually, when you talk about that, um, one of the sessions that we're offering at the um, at the gathering is pillow top making. Oh, yes. And I've learned quite a bit about pillow top making, and that started out as a men's um, yeah. hobby because they would make the pillow tops in the lumber woods on Sunday afternoon. That was their only time off. And, I mean, they didn't have iPads or iPods or cell phones, so they would make these frames and, and do the pillow tops. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm forever grateful to them that, Somebody put it on YouTube because now <laughs> I know how to do pillow taps. Yeah. And my husband has learned how to make frames yeah, for there pillow taps. So, you know, yeah. our, our traditions, while many of them seem like they're fading away, thanks to people like you and your department, they are being revived and people are so interested. Yeah. You know, if you could have seen my granddaughter at seven years old, Friday night doing a pillow top, it was priceless, absolutely priceless. It's nice to hear when those projects kind of continue on and find their own life out in the community. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Now, that's a really nice segue, I think, into um, the gathering that's happening. So so this is a a pretty big deal. This is the first time it's happened in Newfoundland? This is a major deal. For which we owe thanks to Margaret Breen and Wanda Garrett. They are two ladies who've been with Treffold for many years, and they attend 
the national gatherings, which are held every three years, and they haven't missed one. And three years ago, which is hard to believe is already three years ago, they put in a bid to host it in Newfoundland because generally it's held in the provinces with the bigger um, populations because we only, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we have 228 Trefoil ladies registered. Anyway, Marguerite said, we can do it, and we are doing it. Yeah. And once they came back, and once we were granted uh, to be able to host, of course, they came back, and we started. And yes, it is. It's a very big deal. And those two ladies, as well as the other 11 of us on the committee, we've worked very hard to make it all happen because, you know, as Newfoundlanders, we don't want to be as good as we need to be better than. And actually, we need it to be the best. <laughs> we need to show up. We're going to show yeah. up, show off, <laughs> everything. So uh, it's it's been a, a wonderful time putting it all together. Now, we're going to – we even have the contingencies in place that if it rains, so what – We've got tents that we're going to have set up out on the front lawn, and we're going to have as as a what a courtesy to the age of our our guests. We'll have chairs there. We're not going to ask them to bring a sit up on, but you know we've got some awesome sessions planned: the opening, the closing, the banquet. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say, but we have Sheila Williams for entertainment for the banquet. So I mean that in itself. Is going to make it an awesome night mm-hmm. if if the food is horrible, <laughs> and I know it won't be. Yeah. I know it'll be lovely. But yeah, we've got. Um, we were really surprised at the interest in people wanting to come here. Three hundred and fifty is the maximum. Uh, within one week of the information being sent out, every province had their quota filled, and now you've got long waiting lists you know they're waiting for somebody to have something happen that they can't come you know so but as quick as somebody I mean naturally you know we've had people who are not able to attend but as quick as they drop out we got other people waiting to come and we have 30 different sessions we've tried to fit in as much cultural stuff as we can and one of well, not one of the most popular session of all was the Newfoundland culture and history, which we are really over the moon about because it gives us the opportunity to, um, not us, but you, the opportunity <laughs> to, no, to... No pressure on me, no. <laughs> but you know, what a, what a great way to spread the word about yeah. who we are and It'll what we fabulous, are. Yeah. And uh, we're doing a session... We tried to fit in some of our older cultural sessions, like Ugly Sticks. That's a really popular one. We got 80 people wanting to do Ugly Sticks. We're doing rug hooking, basket making, um, the pillow tops. And pillow tops was really popular as Mm -hmm. well. We've got just about 80 people interested in doing that. So all these sessions happen on the Thursday. And, of course, it is. We are staying at the two residences at Munn. And um, they are, they've been most accommodating. I've just given them the big list now of what we need in spaces for the sessions. So if he's 
not dead a shock. He'll have them ready for us on, <laughs> on the 11th. And then um, Friday are tour days. And the tours, we have tried to keep them as well to show our culture and our heritage. There's some boat tours. There's Colony of the Avalon, a trip to Cupid's. <laughs> and um, a walking tour, which will take you to um, like Government House, mm-hmm. Uh, the Basilica, the rooms, and in each of those places there will be somebody there to talk to us. So, you know, we've really done our best to encompass things that are unique to us. And, of course, at the dinner we're going to have a screech-in, but it'll be with um, syrup. (laughs) (laughs) So all in all, we're really looking forward to it and, and, um, you know, hoping that everything will go the way we have it planned. I'm sure it'll be so. fabulous. And, the, and the, the downtown merchants are going to love having 350 ladies come and spend they their money. They absolutely yeah. will. And one of the tours, well, there's several of the tours, and we've done this on purpose to to be of some advantage to the uh, downtown people, is that the tours are going to have a period of time that they're downtown walking around, or else, like, the... the one of the water tours starts from downtown, but we've allowed time when it, before it starts and when it finishes for people to shop. There's another tour that's just a downtown tour where people have the opportunity to um, go downtown and walk around and spend their money and look and see what we are and who we are. Yeah. And anybody who prays, please pray for... And I don't care what God you pray to, but that we don't have rain on on that Friday. Because if, I mean, everything has to go ahead. But, of course, if you have rain, it makes it a a little more difficult. And they have time on Saturday then just to browse around on their own. And we do have one, a high tea, which is, again, a very popular. But there's plenty of opportunity for our guests who are coming in to take advantage of Newfoundland, St. John's on their own. Mm. So we're, we're really looking forward to it, I must say. We're, we're getting close to the end of our time here having a chat. And I'm just wondering, when you look back over these 37 years, your involvement with guiding, do you, do you have a favorite memory or memory that stands out for you? <laughs> I, have, I have lots. My best memories, truly, are the people Mm. that I have met and the friendships that I have formed over the years. But uh, back, well, I suppose 34 years ago, when you were doing your camp license, you had to do an outdoor camp. And me not having sense to get out of my own way, I said, oh, I can do that in February. So anyway, we took... uh, 10 girls to outdoor camp in February. Well, my dear, the biggest fright I ever got in my life is when it came time to go to bed and I wanted to pee and I went to the outhouse. (laughs) Oh, my God, I thought these poor children are going to freeze. Anyway, we got up the next morning and one of the girls who, who was always a bit of a rebel and a sweetie, she said, Mrs. Burton, I want chocolate chip pancakes this morning. Now, that was wonderful. No issue. We had all the ingredients, but my fondest memory was looking at that grill when we were done. <laughs> We've laughed so much about it. The pancakes were delicious. 
But February month cooking chocolate chip pancakes outdoors on a grill <laughs> is challenging. And I see her now and she has two children of her own who are involved in guiding. And she says, Mrs. Burton, she still calls me Mrs. Burton. She says, remember when we had them chocolate chip pancakes and how hard it was to clean the pan? So that's one of my very fond memories of of guiding. And there are so many others. Like, first time I went to camp, and uh, not having been a girl guide on my own, I didn't have a clue how to put up a tent. And, of course, I had a certain amount of pride. So I had to get my husband and son to come and show me how to do it before the girls came. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have those scouts to help you out. When the scouts are always been invaluable in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the on the program, and I wish you um, just absolute success with the the gathering. It sounds like a lot of fun, and I'm sure that people are going to love uh, enjoying your hospitality and your knowledge. Well, we certainly hope to. We've had so much fun getting ready for it, and now we can only hope that it'll all come together exactly as we hope. And thank you so very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about guiding. Thank you. I'm Del Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5, in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Our production assistant is Stephanie Machikian. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. We would love to know what you think of the show. You can leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page, or you can tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>